I'm Jess. And I'm George. And I'm their tall friend. And this is Transpantastic, a podcast about gender, identity, orientation, and all the life that happens between it or around it or something. Under it? Sometimes. <laughs> if you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I feel like life is crushing down on you. Don't know how lucky that would be. Oh, well. Depends on what kind of under you've got going on over. Yeah. Anyway. Mm. Hi, tall friend. Hi. How are you? <laughs> We're glad you're here. We've been meaning to talk to you for a while. It's kind of great. Yes. I'm always great. <laughs> you're always great. So tell us a little about yourself, tall friend. Oh, boy. Where do you start with something like that? Um, I'm Obviously, I'm transgender. I'm over six and a half feet tall, hence the I'm the tall friend. Bob the dog loves you. You're a spoonie. Yeah, dog loves me. Um, I'm a spoonie, and I've been in transition for three years. So when did you, uh, let's start with the typical question of, when did you realize that you were transgender? Well, there really wasn't a word for it back in 1970-something. I was about four years old, and I realized I was different. There was something wrong with me. And it, it wasn't really wrong. It was just I wasn't like everybody else. Something's wrong with this picture. There was a lot wrong with the picture. I was in a, um, I was an orphanage at the time when I found out. And I always felt that I should get to play with the girls. I should be wearing what they're wearing. And they always told me, no, I couldn't. And it was never, it never felt right. And whenever I would steal a dress from one of the other girls, I was always, you know, you would get grounded or beaten or... Um, and so it, was, it wasn't necessarily just about stealing, but it could be. Yeah, it was. It or was, was it about the dress? Anytime you did anything that that wasn't specified as this is a male and this is what you do, you play with only these toys, you wear only these clothes, you say only these things. Anytime you did anything that that counteracted the norm, there was a punishment to be had. It didn't matter what it was. So it was mostly about norms. Yes. Or what they considered norms. At, at the time, whether, yes. the, whether or not they were really normal. It was boys do this, girls do this. That's the way it was. And they figured you were there for a reason. Somebody had effed you up and they needed to fix you. Yeah, my brother and I were left there when I was a year old. So I, for the first part of my life, that's all I knew. I was five and he was seven when we left. And by that point, I think I had stolen maybe like 12 dresses from there. And it was still worth it every time. You were a good dress thief. <laughs> Well, I would have just gave you mine. The other kids... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, other kids would leave, and they'd leave their clothes behind, their toys behind, and I'd, I'd take them, and I'd hide them in my room. So it wasn't stealing. I was just picking up the leftovers. How did that play out then? Like, once you once you did get to go to a home with a parent... You probably couldn't bring your contraband, huh? No, no, not so much. My mother actually, apparently, that's what she says she is, picked me up and we went home. And by that point, I'd been beaten so often from this happening that I stopped. I hid it from them and I hid it from everybody until I was about 12. And my father came home and accidentally caught me in a dress. He said, gay people don't need teeth to provide oral sex and then took a piece of crowbar and smashed my teeth out with it. And I hid it from everybody again until I was, uh, I think I was 20 before anybody else ever found out. I think that that's a self-explanatory uh, reasoning there. Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. You spend your whole life hiding. You don't, you don't want to come out. You're afraid to tell anybody anything. 
because you're afraid of how they react. So you, you ask probing questions. You ask things like, you know, so what do you think of this drag person you saw on TV? What do you think of that person over there? And if there's any response that's unfavorable, then you automatically go back into your shell and you hide it. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't want to lose your friends and you don't want to risk getting beaten again. So you protect yourself every way you can. It's not a good way to live. No, it's not. But by the time you were ready to start exploring that part of yourself again, you were married, weren't you? I got married at 19 and I told her when I was 21 and she was okay with it for actually it was more of um, like blackmail. She used my clothing and my, my my gender against me. She was threatened to tell people unless I did exactly what she wanted to give her parties, let her sleep with other people, do whatever. And that lasted about four years until we finally got divorced. And then I told my second wife. Now, was she the one that you had kids with or was that your first wife? No, my first wife I had one son with who's now 22 and living somewhere else on the East Coast. And I didn't get to see him. Um, I saw him once about six months ago. And I told him, I explained to him who I was and when I knew and the steps I took to get where I'm at. And he, he was happy with it. And then he left. That was the last I saw of him. Right. So anyway, yes, your second wife. The second wife knew and she was uncomfortable with it at first. But I found out later I was, I was her way out. I was her escape from where she was currently living in her current life. So she would accept me for as long as I only dressed when she wasn't home. And I, only, and I never wore makeup. I wasn't allowed. So uh, that that whole marriage, pretty much, I didn't really get to be me. I, I was forced to be this this person I was pretending to be for so many years. That was the only way we got along. Now, I'm just wondering, how did you keep finding these wives that you didn't need? Um, you must have needed them for something. Well, the, the way it worked out, we thought about this. I thought about this the other day when somebody said something. They said, why did you keep mirroring and dating these horrible people? And I said, you know, my dad always told me that nobody would ever want me. If I could find anybody who would want to be with me for even a minute to take them. And if we had problems, we'd work it out and we'd get used to it. And we'd find a way to get along. And we do for a while. So you thought that was the approach to relationships? Pretty much. That was the the only way to survive was to, you know, you find somebody who can accept any part of you and that wants to be with you even for a while. And you work around their problems and you deal with life and you take it day by day. And that is not the way it works. That is a really effed up view of the way it works. Everybody has problems, but you need to find someone whose problems are compatible with your problems, not someone who will have problems with your problems. Well, if you go to the sandbox and you find out you're the only one that has Legos and nobody else wants to play with you, you kind of tend to start playing other games So just to have somebody around. You, right. You get lonely after a while. Uh-huh. And I like my Legos. We like your Legos, too. (laughs) They fit everything. (laughs) Yes, she did. (laughs) So that was the the second wife only lasted about two years. Mm -hmm. I met someone online when I was 26 at this point. And this was in the very, very new days of the interwebs. Yes, yes. um, On a site called Date-A-Date. It was one of the first big dating sites, um, and they had a chat room. And to sign up on the site, you had to fill out a profile. And of course, I can't take anything seriously. So when it, when I filled out my profile, it asked me, what is your favorite dish? And I said, well, the bowl. There's so many things you can do with a bowl. 
<laughs> I knew they were talking about food, but I really like bowls. I do. I think cereal is awesome. And the whole thing was like that. Has it ever been on vacation? I said Tatooine. They said, what are you looking for in a mate? And I said, a left-handed lesbian Eskimo albino midget who breathes fire, spit acid, has hooks for hands and a patch over one eye. And surprisingly enough, I had almost a million responses because every, oh, that's so funny. That's great. But only one of them actually wanted to meet me. And so I started talking to her, and she lived in way in the back end of Texas, one place I just, it's not friendly for me. So a few months later, uh, about six months, I drove down to Texas to meet her. And I told her the day we met that I was trans, and someday I would transition. It's, it's all I've ever wanted in life. Mm-hmm. And she agreed, and she was happy with it. And um, she was very accepting. And so, so you got the lesbian part. Yeah. She said she dated a woman for five years, so it was acceptable. And we were yeah. like, great. And I was like, awesome. Finally, somebody who accepts that I can I can be me. I don't have to hide it anymore. And then she says, but I have two kids. And I went, oh, all right. Well, I guess we'll do what we have to do then. And she says, hide it from the children. Don't show anybody. Once they move out, then you can be whoever you want to be. One was nine and the other one was 11. Um, I raised them. Until uh, they moved out at 18, one joined, uh, they both joined the military and they left. And I finally said, I can finally transition. Life mm-hmm. is good. And then it was, well, let's wait till we're more financially stable. Let's make sure that all of our bills are paid off and we have good credit and let's get our house first. And then, then we can talk about your transition. And so I agreed because, of course, I want to keep her happy to keep her around. Mm-hmm. And everything was great. And almost 20 years, not a single argument. We didn't fight. We didn't do anything. Was, Except you didn't get to be who you wanted to be. Yeah. But I've already spent 30 years of my life not being who I wanted to be. So, you know, get used to it. You get used to mm-hmm. projecting this this alter ego that, you know, you scare people to keep them away from you. You keep them so nobody can hurt you. And you just get used to it. You're used to living that lie, but that whole time, you're, the rage builds up inside you. The the anger and the hate for, you know, not being free. Trying to hide that secret for so long. And you channel that into a hyper-masculine, standoffish demeanor. Yes. And, and you're always on the breaking point. You're, you're always so angry. Everything will set you off. Some people hit other people. Some people drink. Some people do drugs. I destroyed things. Never anybody else's stuff. Always mine. But I destroyed it because I paid for it. And that's that's how I justified it. I justified the violence because, hey, I did it. I paid for it. I can break it. You can't break it because you didn't buy it. And uh, eventually, it got really bad. It gets expensive fast. A little bit. But after... Um, but you had a good job then. I did. did. I, um, I was making a lot of money. I didn't have to worry about anything. What were you doing at the time? I was working research and development for a major computer company. And I could do pretty much anything. I didn't have to worry about... When I went shopping, I could get whatever I wanted. I didn't have to look at the price. So if something cute came out, of course, I was too scared to look at it. I would send her over. I'm like, you know, pink thing, top shelf on the left. Yeah, that one. And she would look at it and she would judge if it was going to fit me or not. And she would hold it up and I would shake my head or nod and depending on, you know, if I wanted it. So we'd buy it and we'd bring it home. And if I didn't like it, it was a, we'd have to have her take it back and get a new one. But that's how it went for years. And I would get dressed up at night and I would sneak out like midnight, one o'clock in the morning. I got to the local trans bar and because we only have one really. That was really accepting of trans people, that you didn't really have a problem. And it's not there anymore. And yeah, unfortunately, it's closed down. 
but I would sneak out and I would be afraid that somebody was going to see me in the car and that they would notice that, that they would be able to tell. By this point, you had not, you were not living in no. Asshat, Texas. You were yeah. living here again. Sorry. Yes. Yes. I picked her up and I brought her back to my hometown. With the kids? With her children. And you guys lived here? Yes. Okay. Yes. We, we lived here for, uh, well, I still live here. She no longer does. So I'd get dressed and I'd sneak out at night and, and do it mainly during the weekdays because there's less people around. No one can see you. I mean, it's always a thrill when you think somebody can see you and they don't say anything. You're like, yeah, they looked at me and I passed and I was good. And worried so much about passing that, that you just get overwhelmed with that fear after a while. Yeah. And it, it just destroys everything. It takes over your whole life, that fear that somebody will see you, that somebody will know who you are. And especially at my height, people know. I mean, like, oh... Uh, you're six and a half feet tall without heels. That puts me... And you like heels. I do. I love heels. They're, oh, my God. They're just everything. But that means that you're a <laughs> six and a half foot tall, seven foot tall... Seven foot tall. Broad-shouldered woman walking around yes. in full makeup and a cute little dress. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That, which yeah. means that people are going to look first because, wow, and then they're going to look again, and that's a chance to be outed. Yes. And, and, of course, at my size, and as strong as I was, you know, my arms are pretty big. My chest was pretty big at the time, you know, because you have to scare these people off. You live your life this way. Being strong and masculine was the only way to be, and it scares people away. So now you're trying to wear a cute little dress and heels and be as feminine as possible when you look like this giant monster. And it's it's difficult. But as long as you feel good, that's all that matters. So I'd go out to the bar like that and everybody was always really nice. And then I would try to leave before the sunlight came up and get home so that way uh, nobody would notice. Especially I, I learned in the place where we lived, I learned where everybody's schedule was. Who goes to work at what time, what time they come home, when they take their trash out, when they do the laundry, who has pets, who has to walk them, and when. That way there was never a chance encounter with my neighbors. And never once, not once, did I get caught. I always, it's anytime you move, anytime you go to a new neighborhood, you learn the patterns of everybody around. It's a lot to remember. It's, it becomes a problem after a while and you just, you start doing it. Of course, when you get beat up your whole life, you're used to watching people and knowing who's a threat and who's not. And when you're trans, it's so much more because it, it's more than just, you know, somebody beating you up once. Now it's a life and death thing, especially nowadays with so many of us getting, having all these problems all over the world. Yeah. And you really have to protect yourself. You know, after about, I snuck out to that bar for maybe a year, mm -hmm. for about a year. And then I ran into somebody who um, I hadn't seen since high school, and they mentioned, and, and they had transitioned about five years ago, and they had mentioned that I should transition, and as much as I wanted to, I, I explained to, I'm sorry, I got to back up on this one. So there was this restaurant here that we went to at night, and we all hung out at the restaurant. It was great. And at one point, this person would show up, and she showed up with her new wife, and I, I knew the person from high school, and we started talking occasionally, and one day I had her give me a ride home. And at that point, I said, you know, I bet I have as many dresses in my closet as you do. And then I kind of laugh. Well, everybody knows that I joke a lot. And because, you know, laughter is a good defense. You make somebody laugh, they're not going to beat you up. So make them laugh. You have a friend. Well, I told them this and she laughed at me. And they dropped me off at home and they left. And then I saw them again and I explained again. I tried to tell them again. Because telling someone for the first time, especially when nobody knows, is really hard. So that's a lot of trust. And once again, they laughed at me and they said, boy, that would be funny if it was true. And so immediately I didn't want to say anything else. 
Well, I didn't see her. The restaurant closed down, and I didn't see her for seven years, eight years. It was a long time. And then there was a, uh, I found out there was a party on this website I go to. It's a, it's a grouping thing. Everybody gets together and has a good time. And so I went to the party in drag. I was fully dressed and it was a sissy slumber party. So I was nice. invited so I could help do makeup and, you know, teach other people how to do their nails and so on. And I had never met these people, but they were really nice. Uh-huh. And so I showed up and we hung out and they spent the whole night teaching people how to do their makeup and how to do their nails. Because and, you'd been practicing in private for all these years. Yeah. Oh my God. I can take nail polish off in less than two minutes. I can, you would never know. I can change from femme to male in a second. You know, there's so many times a parent show up at the door and you're like, oh no. And you have to change so fast that it just, yeah. you get really good at it. Well, we're at the party <laughs> and this girl showed up and she's looking at me. She couldn't figure out who I was. And she just kept staring at me and staring at me. And it's, so I finally walked over and I showed her one of my tattoos and she broke down in tears and just apologizing and saying, I'm so sorry. And she was, she was really upset that I tried to tell her and she laughed at me. And so for eight years, when she transitioned, she was all alone. She, all she had was her wife and, you know, the kids and everybody else in her life, but she could have had, as she called it, I could have been her sister. I could have been there with her transitioning at the same time. And that would have been really nice. So we talked and we discussed transition and where to start and who to talk to. And I got into therapy and I got my paperwork from them and changed my name. And that's when everything went bad. <laughs> Aww. Now you picked your name from Second Life. And when we first met in person, you mentioned Second Life, and I actually, you and I had met like four or five years previously, and I went back and I looked up my chat history <laughs> to make sure it really was you. But we had hung out at um, Fab Glitter and Woman's Touch 2. Yes. Yes. Which I still go to on occasion. Oh, nice. I haven't been in there in forever. But yes, we had known each other previously. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Second Life was a great game. It was uh, when it first started in 2003. It gave me a way to express my gender and to be just happy. I could wear anything I wanted and I can be as feminine as I wanted. And a lot of girls were there for that reason. And if you look now, a lot of the women who are starting to publish their memoirs, publish their stories, a lot of them are using their avatars as their biopic. Yes. And and they still are. There's I spent a lot of time at the transgender resource centers in there just because so I have people that um, I can talk to and I can explain what I've gone through and where um, what I to expect from the hormones and when to expect it and mm-hmm. because when you don't know some of this stuff is really I, I didn't realize that you get cramps you know I, I never did and when it happened I thought I was dying and I had to call <laughs> and ask somebody and it hurt it was like I got shot again and it was absolutely horrible and then I'm like oh is that all it is well this sucks this is horrible <laughs> Welcome to womanhood. It's, right? It's some chocolate. You'll be better. Yeah. <laughs> chocolate, ice cream, and cartoons. We're good to go. And All right. <laughs> but you did select your second life name for your legal name. Yes, I did. Um, it, when I started playing, I could choose any first name I wanted, but I had to choose a second name from a list. And yes, so, I remember that. So I found that name, and it sounded... It really sounded upper class. It sounded nice. It was a beautiful name. And I said, I like this name. And so I kept it. And when I did the paperwork to change my name legally, they asked, is this what you want? And I said, oh, definitely. This this has to be my name. And so now I tell people in game 
They're like, oh, I really like your name. I'm like, yeah, that's why I made it my real name. And then we have, they, we start talking and I tell them my story about how I got mm-hmm. to where I'm at. And some people find it, um, the, the information itself is just so helpful because I'll tell you where to go and, and what to do and who to talk to and what to tell them when you're starting. Right. And Second Life was just, it was a great starting point for so many people. Yeah. What is Second Life? It is exactly what it sounds like. It is a virtual existence. You create a bipedal humanoid avatar and you walk around with it and interact with people and have a life inside the computer that is generally different from your own life, which is the, the draw of the, the... They call it a game, but it's there. there is no winning, losing, playing. It's just... You can do anything in Second do. Life. It, that, that you can dream of anything. You can go snowboarding. You can build a rocket ship. You can fly. You can be a vampire. You can join any one of a million different characters um, from a million different worlds and games. And you can be anything and anyone. And they have recreations of, you know, of large cities touristy places. They have recreations of Starfleet Academy and of you can the TARDIS and the Battle Stars. Yeah, and all, all sorts of other things that, you know, basically it is an online second life, which is why it was called Second Life. Mm-hmm. Most people refer to it as my first life when you're in the game. Yeah. It, it used to be real life and first life because <laughs> you spend so much time in it. And especially when you A lot of people would, yeah. Yeah. You can, you can go in and you can be free and you can wear those cute little dresses that you can't wear in real life because you're too big or too tall or they just don't fit right or you just you can't be yourself. So you can dress provocatively and you can go to clubs and dance and nobody knows. And, and you can date whoever you want. And, and it's a wonderful, freeing experience. It really yeah, is. it was. It still is. <laughs> a lot of people are still there. I, I really wouldn't know. The economy has crashed completely, and you can't make money for nothing in it. But the people are still there. They're still, yes. Most of the major corporations have bought up land, and so that's about all it is. But it's still uh. a good place to hang out and meet people. And like I said, the Transgender Resource Center is one of them. Um, it's where I hang out a lot so I can talk to people and anybody that has questions, that's why I'm there. Right. Uh, it is a good resource to go to look for help because you have different stories from different people from all over the world. Yeah. And there's always somebody on. It, it's very helpful, especially if, if you suffer from depression, which a lot of trans people do. Mm-hmm. You have somebody to talk to and you have resources right there at your fingertips 24-7 and no judgment from anyone. In the Transgender Resource Center. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to clarify. You go to other places, there might be problems, but... Yeah. At the Resource Center, and there's a few of them. There's a, a few trans places that are really just there to help. I wouldn't have found this because I'm not a computer person, but it sounds like a good idea to have that kind of an option. Yeah, it, Lots of folks do go on the computer and have that as a great resource of information about transition or support or etc. Yes. So, continuing, you, you got your name change and then everything fell apart. Um, yes. Uh, you, you, you did change your name to your Second Life avatar. I did. Um, and then? 
I was informed that I shouldn't pick a silly, uh, I, I won't say a silly name. I wanted to take Aurora because I love the Disney princesses. Uh-huh. But my friend said, no, if you take a name like that, the judges will tell you no, or the judge will deny it right off, or you'll have to go into court and defend it. So it's just easier if you take this. I'm like, well, I like my name anyway, so I'll just take this. Yes. And and I do. I love my name. I, I spent a lot of money to get my name. <laughs> so it's a good thing I like it. Yes. Um, so I got my name changed and everything was happy and it showed up and I got my new ID that said female on it and I was ridiculously happy. I'd never been so happy in my life. My wife had come home and I showed her my new ID and she was very happy. She gave me a big hug, told me she loved me, and then she went off to bed. Well, it was about two months later. It was in February on February 23rd was my first appointment to get an estrogen shot. I was already on spironolactone, which is the testosterone blocker, and I was already on estrogen pills every day. But now I was getting a shot every 28 days. And that a milliliter of pure estrogen, oh, it's like heaven. So how long had you been on the testosterone blockers? And um, since Was it before your name change? Or? No, I, I timed everything out so it all lined up perfectly. On December 5th, my name became legal. On December 7th, I started the spironolactone. On December 10th, I had my new ID that said female. And then on December 21st, I quit smoking after 30 years. And then on December 21st, I started the estrogen pills. And then I had to make another appointment for February 23rd to get my first estrogen shot. Right. And, and so over the course of that, just that couple months, I had everything lined up. So just bam, bam, bam. And it worked out perfect. Uh, Good. I don't like waiting. That's great. I know some, you know, so lots of folks, at least the guys I, I listen to are watch on YouTube usually start T and then they get around to getting their name changed and stuff. Yeah, a lot of people do. They think the name change is actually harder than it is. It's, it's a simple process. It is expensive, but most places you can get a government form where you can waive the fee. Most people get their name changed later because of the price. They don't realize. So you can go and get a government form to waive the cost of the, um, the name change. I know it cost me close to $800 to get my name changed. And it was uh, about a week and a half to get everything settled, um, not counting the three weeks for the newspaper printing, yeah. which was horrific. I was so scared the whole time that somebody was going to find out and see it in there before I could tell anybody. Does anyone actually read the legal notices in the paper? That's what I was counting on. Then. Nobody <laughs> reads the legal notices in the newspaper, even in nowhere middle of nowhere western United States, it's still, you know, one of those sections that nobody's actually going to even glance at. Yeah, and Where do we find them? <laughs> in the newspaper. In that, the... That's as far as I know. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I mean, like, even our, our lawyer friend was saying that he was like... I know a lot of legal people who it's their job to read the legal notices in the paper, and even they don't read the legal notices in the paper. <laughs> Great. Yeah, it, it's something Great. I was afraid my parents would see it before I could say anything because they were the biggest ones. I, I didn't want to tell them. Right. Not that I've ever had a good good relationship with them anyway. This just made it worse. No, no, you did not have a good relationship with them from what <laughs> you've described. Yeah. Yeah, and it, well, over the I didn't talk to them for almost ten years, and then they showed up, and we started to be friends for about two and a half years. We were talking every week. We'd go to lunch every Saturday, and then I sent them an email telling them that I had started transition. Um, I waited till I was already in before I said anything. 
Right. Um, my name had already been legally changed, and I stated that. I said, you know, this is done. This is my new name. This is where I'm at, and this is what's happening, and this is why. And, of course, their response is, I'm so happy for you. It's wonderful. Um, I didn't know anything about it, but we've looked up transition and, and being transgender, and it's really nice to talk to you about it. And what should we call you? My first thought was, well, I told you what my name was. I would preferably, I hope you call me by my name. Usually we prefer people do that, you know. Yeah. Yes. There's other things they sometimes call us. I'm like, I paid oh, wait, a lot no, of money. That's a youngest child. <laughs> youngest, youngest son. Yes. Yes, he, he, he calls us all sorts of things, but... Uh, yes. So, and my parents were happy about it at, at first. My mother said she was. Well, what people say and what they actually live. I'm surprised yeah. that, they, that they said they were happy from, from the whole crowbar incident forward. Yeah, it was, you know? it was weird when, she, when I first got the message from her. I sent it late on uh, December 7th, and I didn't hear from her until January when she called and said, I'd like to talk to my son. And my roommate at the time walks over, and uh, he was a homeless guy. I let live with us. He was giving me a place to live. I'd known him for a whole bunch of years. He hands me the phone and says, your mother is on the phone, and she wants to talk to her son. And I kind of cringed a little bit, and I took the phone, and I started talking to her. And then I said, did you not read my email? She goes, no, I didn't know you sent one. Why else would I ask for your email address? And she says, well, send it again. And of course, now I'm scared. You know, it's already been a month that she ignored it. I, I was scared at first. I got over it. I assumed that she just didn't want to see me or talk to me anymore. That's fine. I don't need them. And now she's talking to me. So now I'm scared all over again. So I turn around and I send, I write out a whole new email and I send it off and I go to bed and now I'm afraid of what she's going to say because we're all scared of what our parents are going to say or, or what even our friends are going to I'm say. I'm always scared of what my mother's going to say. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I wake up the next morning and the first thing I see is, I love you. And I'm like, I'm screwed. Anytime she says, I love you, that means there's a problem. And so I open up the email and I read it and she sounds really excited and she's very happy that I'm to continue. She wants to be a part of my life now that I'm no longer her son, but now that I'm her daughter, we have a whole new chapter and we get to start over. And I thought, that's great. I can have this mother-daughter relationship and everything will be great. It will be wonderful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry. Um, in the three years since I've transitioned, I've seen them one time. My father keeps me in his phone under my old name, and he refuses to to acknowledge it in any way because it's just a passing phase. My mother, on the other hand, accepts it, but she doesn't talk as much as she says she accepts it. She won't talk to me. She won't spend any time with me. And if I call, I usually get the voicemails. I get ignored. I get, oh, well, let me tell you about my life. And then she hangs up. She doesn't want to know anything about my life. She doesn't want to spend time with me. But I knew that was a possibility. Not a big loss, but, you know, it still kind of hurts when the only family you have doesn't want anything to do with you. Right. So it took another, let me see, it was February until then. So around February, um, on the 23rd, actually, I left to go get my estrogen shot and my wife came up. She gave me a big hug and she kissed me and she says, I love you. And I said, well, I'll see you when I get back. I got in the, my friend drove me down there. We go in, I get my shot, I come home and she's gone. Cars are gone. The house is empty. Everything is missing. But Bank accounts are empty. Fast as soon as she went out the door. Yep, she'd been planning this for since I started transition. She had been moving money out of the bank accounts into her own personal account, so that way there was no huge lump sum she could transfer it over without any notifications. She called um, apparently as soon as I left. Five trucks with twenty guys showed up, and they just took everything. They loaded it all up, and off she went. 
I haven't spoken to her since. Even in divorce court, she didn't thought she wouldn't speak to me. No explanation. No nothing. She just gone. People are weird. What's with the I love you and, and it, it, disappearing act with all your stuff? I mean, it seems cowards. to me. They're yes, cowards. Yes. They're all cowards. Yes. It, it's, imagine that, that when I got the shot, uh, like 10 minutes after the best day of my life, I've never felt so free. I was just, oh, this is the greatest thing in the world. And then I come home to that. And it just, just after 20 years of marriage, nothing, not one fight, not one argument. And I come home to an empty house. Now, when you have a bad back, I was hit by a car in 98. Going, I was on my way to work. Lady decided that stopping at the stoplight was not for her. And, you know, that's your choice, I guess. But she bounced me off her windshield, screamed and drove away, left me in the street. Um, since then, my back has been really bad. And for a while, it was get a job, work for a while till it got too bad where I couldn't. And then I'd lose my job. And it went like that for years. And so now... I don't have a place to live. The wife is gone. I've got no way to pay rent. The bank accounts are empty. I'm your, your wife had been content to be the financial support in your house and have you as a housewife. Correct. When we first got together, I worked um, and she did nothing. She sat home. So I worked for 18 hours. I come home. I clean the house, do the laundry, do the dishes, and then go back to work the next morning. And we were fine like that. I like working. I, I don't mind you know, getting my hands dirty. I do now because now they're pretty and I just can't have it. <laughs> <laughs> but but at the time it was it was I did all the work and her excuse was I'm not a housewife you knew that when we got together all right fine so I worked and I worked that for the first seven years we were together then we got married and one day I went to stand up my back made a loud pop and I couldn't stand up I didn't move for almost four months I lost my job I lost everything and I had to get her to work so I called some friends and I got her employed as a management of this company here. And I helped her work her way up until she was she was stable in this job. And at this point, she is now paying for everything. And apparently that was just not right in her book, I guess. I, I still don't understand why she left. There's a lot of, it could be because I'm trans now. It could be because I want my gender confirmation surgery. Is that, is that what we're calling it nowadays? I think so. I, there's every you day can call it whatever you want. Uh, yeah. Well, no, I can't because this is radio and the FCC. Are you, this is a podcast. Oh, FCC a don't give a rat's ass. Oh, really? Good. Well, I'm still not going to say I want my junk cut. The, <laughs> I think you just, just did. Yeah. It's funnier that way. Um, <laughs> I love you. So I, I don't know why, if it was if it was that, if it was... I don't know. I, I can't honestly say why she left. Her life has never been easier. I mean, who doesn't want to go to work? You work for eight hours and you come home and that's it. You have somebody that does your laundry for you and cooks and cleans and sets your clothes out and makes sure your car is perfect and runs and is always full of gas. I mean, you never have to worry about anything. Mm -hmm. But she's gone. And so from that point on, with no job, and the wife took all the money, that left me homeless. And I'm still, almost four years later, I'm still in that position. Um, government won't help because they say I had a job after the initial accident, so therefore I'm not disabled. The fact that I can't stand up for more than 10 minutes, walking even a block, is, is a nightmare. Um, and there's So when your back went pop, some... Mm -hmm years later, they're not considering that as an additional injury, considering that to be... That's still, that, that's an effect of the previous injury. Currently, I have four chipped vertebrae, two bulging discs, and 80% degenerative damage all the way down my spine. And 
they consider anything that happened is all related to this one incident. Everything happened because of this one incident. And because I had a job, because I kept working and I didn't want to live off the government, I'm no longer, I'm not disability. I'll just magically get better and be able to go back to work. That would be nice, but that's not the reality. The reality is lots and lots of morphine and other painkillers and horrible pain 24-7. That will never go away. Well, it seems to me what, what you did is you you tried to work and you wore the rest of yourself out until your back wouldn't go anymore. Right. And I, I, I guess I, I never really understand the government's logic because they're not logical with their logic. And I know that because I work. <laughs> yes, both yes. of us, we, we work for the government. We know it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't think it's about the injury as much as about whether or not you're able to function. And so when you started your divorce proceedings was about the same time that you actually did apply for disability because you didn't have a care finance person to be a housewife for anymore. You had to figure out some way to pay your bills without living and caring for someone else for them. Right. I applied for insurance. The Obamacare thing actually really helped me out. I know a lot of people are angry about it, but it worked. It's a constant fight with them to get anything taken care of, but it gets done. But but you would have had nothing without... Yeah, I would have had absolutely nothing without them. Um, they still won't do anything about housing. They said, I need to have an actual declaration of disability before they will help me out. So And getting the declaration of disability is what you've been trying to do for some... Three years now. Yes. Yes, it, it you had just started the process when we first met. Right. Um, I had just filed the paperwork through a counselor at the, the clinic I go to. He set me up with all the right people and a horrible, horrible lawyer who did nothing. And we've been through appeal after appeal. Um, I went and seen the judge. The, even the judge said, nope, you had a job, so I can't help you. And it's been, I'm on my final appeal now, and I've been waiting almost eight months now for an answer. And so far, it's it's nothing. Everything you tell, when I talk to the judge, I explained what was wrong. I explained why I can't work. I've even, I, I've tried, I've tried everything. And people say, well, why don't you get a call center job? And they don't understand what it's like. You can't just get up and go to work every day. You, you don't, you can't think about it when you're in a position that I'm in. You have to get up in the morning and plot your day out. You have to walk. You have to get dressed. You have to walk to the bus stop. You have to ride the bus to the job or as close as it gets and then walk to the job from there. And you have to work all day. Even though you get a couple of breaks, trying to sit up in a chair for two or three hours before that break is impossible. And then you have to go home, which means walking back to the bus. Take the bus back home. Walk from that back to the house or wherever you're staying at that time. Then you have to shower and take care of yourself and then get up the next morning and try to do it again. And, and any any one of those things or a couple of them gripped together is... Is enough, to, enough use to use your work. minimal physical resources to exhaustion. Yes, that will eat up all my spoons in the first couple of minutes. Um, and to, to anyone who is not familiar with chronic debilitating illness... They'll say, well, all the rest of us can do that. Why can't you? Well, that's the nature of the disability is that I just can't. Mm -hmm. you, you can want to. Uh, you, I want to get up. I want to go to work, but I can't. 
I can't stand up for more than a few minutes. I can't sit in the same place for a long period of time. You know, not to mention all the drugs they give you for the pain really keeps you from, from your brain slows down. You don't, you can't move as well. You're tired all the time on top of having the pain. As anybody who knows that has this chronic pain, when you take pain meds, all it does is make you not think about it for a while. The pain is still there and you know it's there. And you know if you do anything while you're on those meds, as soon as they wear off, you're in a much worse situation than you were before. So what's what's your impression of what's happening with the court and the judges around disability? Do they do you think that they don't understand the concept of, as you said, using up every spoonful of energy that you have or the spoon the spoon theory in general that Jess had to explain to me because I understood the, the concept of of disabilities and and using up energies, but I didn't understand the spoony thing. Just had to you didn't understand to spoon theory. You spoon. understood the concept of being disabled and living with chronic debilitating illness. But I didn't know that somebody just explained this with spoons. So yes, but that wouldn't be my first time not understanding something like that. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> what's your impression of the judge? Do you think they don't understand? Or the courts or what you know, the people that you've dealt with so far with your disability. Do you do you have a feeling about it as far as whether or not they understand spoony type things? Or my first question being always a queer and now a trans person, is what else is going on here? Do they not like that you're a tall lady? We'd love to hear from you, so let us know what you think or what you want to hear about by emailing us at transpantastic at gmail.com or by commenting at our website, transpantastic.net. Don't forget to subscribe in Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcatcher, and leave us reviews and star ratings. Disclaimer time. We are neither your doctor nor your mental health professional. We are here to discuss our own lives, so we take no responsibility for your decisions based on our discussions. If you are considering transition, please seek professional assistance. If you are considering parenting while transitioning, you definitely need professional assistance. All contents are distributed under a Creative Commons no-derivative license and may be shared freely in their entirety. Any alteration or less-than-complete reproduction requires permissions of the hosts. Thanks for listening! I'm Jess. And I'm George. And I'm their tall friend. Alright. <coughs> I did Batman. She doesn't usually throw that on the floor. I, was I try not to. Assistance. No, let her do it herself. <laughs> I need no assistance. Thank you. <laughs> I got this, alright? They say that until they're drowning. Then it's help me, help me. <laughs> Get your foot off my head. Stop pushing me underwater. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> That's the recirculation pump. Yes, it is. Can we unplug it? I don't know. Want me to go see? Is Would it, you please? Is it really picking that up? Yes. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty loud. But yet it can't hear me. <laughs> well, it could hear you, but it was going to hear you at a significantly lower volume, which would be difficult in people's ear earbuds. Right. But it's also funny because they have to turn it up to hear me, but then they hear you. Ah, and exactly. So the entertainment, we're providing exercise up and down and up and down and up and down. See, it's a reach. I, I know you're good at providing that kind of exercise, but. <laughs> so we just discussed this this morning. It's more like a squeeze, twist, and a shimmy. <laughs>
And that's all she said. That's all he wrote anyway. I'm good so far, right? Yeah, you're you're perfect. Oh, we know that, but I mean... On, but she likes it when the story goes in the, in the sequence that stories usually go. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're, you're telling a story with a beginning and a middle and an end, and yes. that makes me happy. Yeah. And I okay. the, the beginning, middle, or end mixed up, she gets a little bit bothered. He'll, he'll tell me, he'll uh, tell me the, the beginning and then say, oh, but that relates to the end, but we didn't get oh. there yet. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then I met somebody online. Sorry. No, it's okay. You go, go right um, ahead and cough, clear your throat, do whatever you need to do. Just make sure that you leave a second of silence after so that I can right. pick it back up. I do it all the time. Mm-hmm. He, he always forgets to take a breath for though. He's like, and so, swallowing. <laughs> well, it's always good to swallow. <laughs> if that's your thing, more power to you. Why do all the work if you don't get the reward? Different people like different things, and that's okay. I'm glad you consider it to be a reward. Yes. You should ask me something else. I I have nowhere to go at this point. (laughs) My other stories are weirder than this. Tell me another story that's weirder than that. There was this one time when I had 350 feet of Visqueen, some Vaseline, two tubs of Cool Whip, some raisins, and a potato cannon. Do you sure I can say anything I want in here? Because this gets pretty explicit. <laughs> animals did get harmed in this. We didn't oh, we don't want to talk about harming animals. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> okay. was, my brother was dressed up like a parakeet, and we got weird from there. But, you know, still, it was all right. It was... Hold on. You're leaning forward, and I want to make sure that you don't accidentally bump the table. I would never. You already have. Shh. <laughs> I meant never again. First time is okay. Now that I've moved it, you're correct. <laughs> you're lucky you're cute. <laughs> so continue. Your parents. Your parents. You have to wait for your segment to pass. O- o- only a second if you're like, do- yep. Oh, okay. I gotcha. Fine. When um, you clap like that, you wait a second. That's so more than a second. You didn't explain that her clapping games were included. Yeah. You never said... Patty cake, patty cake. See, how do they know we're not playing patty cake? We could be. Because there's be. no clapping sounds. If we were actually playing patty cake, it would sound like patty cake, patty cake. Yes, but we have to do it quietly. I mean, we could be in monkey suits hanging from the ceiling playing patty cake. No one's going to know. All I know... I mean, oops. Sorry, I didn't mean to ruin that for you, but... <laughs> Wait, wipe your face and then say it. Okay. I'm not There's no crying and talking Please at the wait. same time around here. <laughs> we are experiencing- There's no crying in base. I mean, recording. <laughs> we are currently experiencing whining difficulties. Please wait. <laughs> no, you're not whining. Believe me, we live with a champion whiner. <laughs> whining is done for no reason. Being upset for circumstances that you're trying to cope with is not whining. You, you always feel like you're whining, though. I'm sure always. you do, because you have a complaint and you feel like you don't have something else to say, but just because the complaint is reality doesn't make it not true. You know? People ask you... That's, I, I believe that's the definition I know, of reality. I realize that as a word came out of my head. <laughs> I'm used to talking to our children, so you have to talk in a circle. Um, we do. Ha, 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 ha.